Good morning. First thing probably I need you to do this morning is if you are sitting next to someone that's here for the very first time, um, please whisper to them that he's not the preacher. <laughs> we, um, we don't want you to be discouraged and we want you to come back again. <laughs> One thing I need to do this morning, um, seriously, is um, um, we're going to um, dive back into Job um, this morning, um, chapter 23, as, as Jaden has just read us. Um, last time I was up here, we, we um, concerned was mostly concerned with um, Job's chapter 1 and 2. One thing I failed to do that time is I need to acknowledge publicly my, my resources, and I want to do that today because um, a lot of what I um, can glean um, from um, the Word of God I have used um, not only the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit has worked through all of these people, but people, um, Pastor, um, what, are some, what are some reasons that we suffer? And this is not an exhaustive list. I'm sure there's other reasons we suffer, but here, here, here are five um, as I looked at um, reasons to suffer. One, one reason is we, we experience suffering because we can't be human and not experience suffering. Uh, Matthew 5.45, Jesus says, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Another reason we suffer is sometimes because God causes it to be corrective. We can see that and read that in Hebrews, but also in Psalm 119, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Sometimes we suffer or experience suffering because God causes wants it to be constructive, wants it to be constructive. Romans 5, 3 and 4, and not only this, but we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. In other words, that person would not be this way had not God used pain in this way. A fourth one is so that God might be glorified. John 9, 2 and 3. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither this man's sin nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then the final one I have here, and this is more in line with what we will be talking about in Job. Um, is we suffer so a person can love and trust God for who he is in himself and not merely for what he gets out of him. God doesn't want us to become Christians just for an insurance policy. The same God that chooses to bless us with a sunny day may choose to bless us with suffering. God uses pain to reach into our souls and says, I want to talk to you. So Job chapter 23. So we're not exactly sure how long Job suffered. Um, he said in, in, in chapter 7 of his book that he was allotted months of emptiness. Months of emptiness. And so in our last message on chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Job, we left Job sitting on an ash heap, his clothes torn, his shaved head, and he was covered 
with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He had lost all of his possessions. His ten children were dead. And his wife's only solution to him was curse God and die. If that wasn't enough, his three friends show up and they do well, as we talked about in, in the last message, until they open their mouth, until they begin to talk. And from that point on, they are relentless. Their solution is repent. Your horrible situation is brought on by your horrible sin. In fact, Eliphaz in, in chapter 22 said this about him. He says, is not your soul uh, and sin abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. And we come here to chapter 23 and God says, and excuse me, Job says, God is absent. He can't find him. If you give me just a moment here for, uh, maybe I can call it a little bit of foolishness. Um, but um, I, want, um, I want to read a country song to you that I came across. And I'm not a big fan of country music, but a little bit of fan of country music, mostly classic country. But um, this song is titled, Where I Find God, so you know where I, why it caught my attention. And it's sung by an artist by the name of Larry Fleet, and it goes like this. He says, from a bar stool to that Evinrude. Now, I, I, I think I'd probably need to stop here and explain what Evinrude is. Maybe some of you are not country enough to know what Evinrude means. But Evinrude is a um, manufacturer of motors that they put on boats. Exclusively for boats. So Anyway, from a bar stool to that Evinrude, Sunday morning in a church pew, in a deer stand or hayfield, an interstate back to Nashville, a Chevrolet with the windows down, me and him just riding around. Sometimes whether I'm looking for him or not, that's where I find God. And like I said, I'm no way of suggesting that when you're suffering that you turn to country songs to find, find direction or relief. That's not what I'm saying. But I do want you to notice something here in the, in the phrases um, that this author put together in this chorus. Uh, that this song expresses when things are going well, he senses the presence of God. In fact, he says him and God are riding around in his pickup truck. But... If we're honest, we do the very same things. When things are going well with us, um, we say God and I are tight. We're just like two peas in a pod. But let hard times show up, and our first thoughts are, um, where are you, Lord? What are you doing? Why, why did you let this happen? So here's a question. When, this is a question for all of us. When times are good, how do we know if we're just loving God for who He is or just loving the things that He has given us? And our answer should be we don't really. Probably if we, if we were to take inventory of our spirituality, our, our progress in godliness, um, 
we would see that we probably are not as concerned as God is. And so, therefore, God will go to whatever it takes to make us more into the image of his Son. So let's look here at Job's desire. What's Job's desire here in his time of suffering? You know, and sometimes we sense the senses, sense of God and of hope are completely gone. That is, that is a real feeling. Sometimes as Christians, we feel we're in a spiritual, spiritual darkness, you know, for, for a very long time. Jaden read us verses 8 and 9. Let's read them again. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, I cannot see him. So there's no doubt Job is having a hard time finding God. And so he is in this dilemma. You know, Job has searched in every direction. He's forward, backward, left, right. He feels that he has been denied fellowship with God. Remember, feelings, we said this last time, remember, feelings are real, but they're not reliable. God is the center of our life, not our feelings. And what Job is seeking here is confirmation from God. Basically, verses 3 and 7 express that, but it, just to, Job has done nothing to forfeit God's favor. He has done nothing to forfeit God's favor. But he seeks, he seeks validation that his relationship with God is not damaged. That is what he's seeking. That is what his desire is. He wants vindication. Job said in, in, in an earlier chapter, chapter 13, Job's desire in time of trouble was he wanted his God. He says in chapter 13, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. He basically saying, let God do what he wills to me. I want to be near him. His desire that he may know where to find him again. And why did Job have this desire? Why, why is we as Christians, do we have this desire to be near to God? And God put this desire in us. It's something we conjure up on our own. 1 John 4.19, we love. Why? Because He first loved us. You know, that is, that is the mark of God's work in our lives through His Son, Jesus Christ. That whatever happens, we still want our God. You know, Job, Job wanted his God because he was, he was sure of justice. Job said in verse 10, but he knows the way I take. In other words, God knows all about Job just like he knows all about all of us. And we may feel that he has left us, but God knows what he's doing. And he can, he can be trusted. And the rest of verse 10 says, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job is not fearful of God's verdict in his life. He knows that God is just. Abraham asked the very same question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do ju deal justly? He will. Job also, also knows with God he has a listening ear. You and I are sure to be heard in our prayers. 
God, God hears our prayers. He never grows weary of our cries. You know, at times our, our, our words may be poor and broken, but He knows the meaning of our sighs. He understands our groans. Verse 6, once again, would He contend with me in the greatness of His power? No, He would pay attention to me. So walking with God through suffering. And what I want to suggest, two ways of walking with God that I see here in, in, in chapter 23 that, that is necessary, only, not only in our days when we are suffering, but our every day. And they are prayer in the, in the Word of God. And we're going to look more into that in just a minute, those two, prayer and, and the Word of God. But the term walking is one of the main ways the Bible gives us when facing difficulties. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And two things we see here in, in this one little verse in Psalm 23 is, one is there is no exemption from trouble. Your version may say one way or the other, God does not say if we go through the valley, but even though, some verses say when you go. The second is, is, it's not a promise that he will remove us from the experience of suffering, but the promise is he will be walking beside us, he will be with us. So that's the promise we get here. You know, walk... Simply put, indicates progress. It's putting one step in front of the other. And it is step by step. So what's the definition of walking with God? And I refer this definition to Pastor Tim Keller. This is what he says. A walk is day in and day out praying. Day in and day out Bible reading and meditation. Day in and day out obeying talking with your Christian friends and going to corporate worship and committing yourself to fully participate in the life of the church. You see the graces of God there? Prayer, His Word, fellowship in the body of believers, the church. So let's take a look at prayer first. What is prayer? We could give various definitions of this. You probably have your own, and you probably would not be wrong. I wrote down, prayer simply, prayer simply put is all in intimacy, struggle, and being real with God. Prayer is conversation and encountering God. And in the same time, we, we must be in awe with God because of His mercy and grace, His greatness, His love for us. But also we are to struggle with God. And we struggle with God in asking for His help in order to know, to know Him more, to know the reality of His presence. And to know Him more. What is, what is the most important reason to pray? What would you say? What would we say if we were asked that question? What is the most important reason to pray? This is what the Apostle Paul said. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. 
For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He goes on in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So Paul would tell us the most important reason is to pray that we may know God better. The most important thing God could give us is that we may know him more and more. You know, Paul goes on in his prayer here, and he asks that our hearts be enlightened. You know, and biblically speaking, that means our entire being is penetrated and gripped. And it's penetrated and gripped so deeply that it, it, it changes the entire person. So Paul sees the fuller knowledge of God as more important than a change of circumstances for us. Therefore, knowing God better is what we must have if we're going to face life with this many difficulties. You know, prayer is just not a way to get things from God, but a way to get more of God himself. And prayer is striving to take hold of God. And there are no secret recipes. There's no um, secret steps to follow when we are in suffering. No path through suffering is identical. You know, as we, as we read Job here, and if you read the entire book of Job, he says some things that um, were pretty tough. A tough conversation with God. You know, and Job had this freedom to cry out. Where are you, Lord, and why aren't you helping me? And, and, and we as suffering people need the same opportunity to grieve. We need the same opportunity to weep. We need to be honest. And we need to pour out our hearts before our Lord. Job was at times brutally honest with his feelings. You know, the book of Psalms is full of cries to God. How long, O Lord? How many times is that repeated? Psalm 88 is probably the saddest. And three times the word darkness occurs in these verses. Verses 6 and 12 and 18. The psalm kind of ends with this phrase, um, darkness the psalmist says darkness was his closest friend. And so was he intimating that God you're not? Talking about being honest in your prayers. He says darkness is my closest friend. It's a hard word, isn't it? And we think, and as I, as I got to thinking about that phrase, um, I thought about other examples in the Bible where people... Um, People of God were doubting God, doubting His Son, Jesus Christ. I thought of three examples, and I'll share them with you. One is um, Arthur and Murray. You know the story very well of Lazarus. They are Lazarus' sisters. 
Jesus gets the word that Lazarus is ill. And what does Jesus do? He waits. He carries two days, exactly. And so when he meets Martha and Mary, both of them say this at different times, but, you know, they, they express their, I believe, a little disappointment with Jesus when they said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What about John the Baptist? John the Baptist is in um, prison. Um, execution will come. He's there because he spoke truth. And so he sends two of his followers, you know the story, to ask Jesus this, Are you the one to come or shall we look for another? So John, John is, is, is confused because his present situation does not match up with his expectations of the coming kingdom of, of Jesus. And one other, impetuous Peter, we can always pick on Peter. But Peter, Jesus had just um, met a man rich, and he ended up saying it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Peter's listening to all this, and Peter's, Peter's response was, um, we've left everything. We've left our homes to follow you. You know, so Peter expected things to have been a whole lot better than the current circumstances had revealed. But in each one of these situations, Jesus gives them a reassurance. To Martha Murray, he says, this has happened so that you may believe. He told them, for this is God's glory. He sent messages back to the same people, to, to the, John the Baptist. He says, tell him this. He said, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are clean, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And he told Peter that you're going to get much, much more than what you've given up here. You're going to receive much more. Theologian Francis Anderson says this, It is easier for us to lower our view of God than to raise our faith to greater heights. In other words, when things go bad, we almost immediately point an accusing finger instead of digging in deeper into his word and into his prayer and seeking God more and more. It's easier to point that finger than it is to seek God more. He also said, faith stays dry in water. Faith stays dry in water. You know, but in the struggles and darkness, we have a choice to make. And we don't have this choice when things are going well. The choice is we can choose to serve God just because He is God. When in our darkest time we continue to obey, pray, and to seek God, if we continue to do that, we are finally learning to love God for who He is in Himself and just not for all the benefits we get from Him.
As we well know, God always acts purposely. He does everything, excuse me, He does everything with purpose. One more thing before we go on to the Word. Um, this is a phrase I ran across, and it was um, from Alistair Begg. But he says that um, the presence of God in pain can coexist. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter would tell us we can rejoice in Christ and weep at the same time. We can do both and we need to do both in our days of suffering. We, we need to do this so we can grow through our suffering and not be destroyed by it. No prayer prayed in faith has been ignored. Not one has been lost. Not one has been forgotten. Not one has been ineffectual or pointless. Psalm 56.8 You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? So let's move on to the Word. Verses 11 and 12. My foot is held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. <clears throat> if prayer is to be an honest and open conversation with God, it must be accompanied by listening to God's voice through meditation with Scripture. I like this saying of John Piper, and I've used it before, but John Piper says, if you want to hear the voice of God, read the Bible out loud. That simple. That hard. The way to have growth and knowledge of God increasing our lives is, is through the Bible. You know, as we read in Scripture, we know that His Word is active. We know that His Word is alive. You know, how, how, how did Job, how could Job persevere and hold fast in the face of such extreme suffering and pain? He tells us. You know, the answer lies in that he held fast to the Word of God. Job has just said he, he, he can't find God, but yet he is confident to declare that God knows all about him. How could Job be so confident? Because he, Job knew and believed in the character of God, especially his goodness. And he knew this because he had treasured, he had hidden God's word and had eaten, I'm going to use that word, had eaten and held fast to the living, active, eternal word of God. So what we see here, Job placed more greater value on God's word than food that was necessary for his physical nourishment. We are all familiar with the words of Jesus, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Martin Luther 
said there were three ways to handle the Bible and growing grace. Meditate, pray, and suffer. And he based that on Psalm 119, verse 71, and it reads, It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. You know, God's words and his actions are, are the same. They are identical. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent. God sends his life-giving word, the gospel, and he reaches us through that. You know, God's word cannot fail their purpose because for God, speaking and acting are the very same thing. So what should we believe about the Bible? What are our beliefs about the Bible? Well, one, the Bible makes no mistakes. It can be understood. It is the most important word, the most relevant thing you can do each day. God's word does not change, contains nothing corrupt, and his word never gets old or wears out. Scholars would tell us that the Bible is sufficient. It contains everything we need for godly living and how to be saved. They would tell us the Bible is clear that the message of Jesus Christ is clearly taught in Scripture and understood. It, the Bible can, is, is clarity. It's very clear. The Bible is also authoritative. The last word, the final word, always goes to the Word of God. No matter what we read on the Internet or hear on the evening news, or in the newspaper, or what some friend has told us. The final word always goes to God. No teaching, no teaching should ever take the place of Scripture. And finally, God's word is necessary. We will never know God the way we should apart from Scripture. We need His word to tell us how to live. We need His word to tell us who Christ is. We need his word to t- tell us how to be saved. You know, we're not born with the love of God in our hearts. It must be implanted there through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it has to be implanted there as we sit under the reading and the teaching and the preaching of God's word. The meditating on God's word on our behalf. The innocent sufferer. I asked in the um, last message, was Job an innocent sufferer? You know, God boasted that there was none like him on the earth. You know, Job was as faultless as a man can be. But we probably realize he was not perfect, nor was he sinless. But there is one and only one who is truly innocent. 
and he was an innocent sufferer. You know, Job, we compared Job and Jesus here. Job was, was covered in boils. He lost everything and in physical pain. Jesus had no place to lay his head. He was stripped of his clothes. He was beaten. He was tortured. And he died on the cross. Job was not sinless. Jesus is absolutely sinless and innocent. Job felt like God had abandoned him. Jesus actually experienced the real absence of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? was the cry from the cross. Jesus lost his relationship with the Father so that we may have a relationship with him as our Father. Jesus bore all the eternal punishment that our sins deserved. Job asked, if a man dies, will he live again? And probably the most quoted verses in the book of Job is found in chapter 19, verses 25 and 27. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom myself I shall behold, and whom my eyes shall see, and not another. You know, for Job, the Redeemer was in the future. For us, the Redeemer was in the past. You know, God sent His Son into the world to die in Job's place. And He sent the Son into the world to die in our place. He took our place. He took our record of death of sins and set them aside by nailing them to a cross. The question all of mankind must answer, all of us, we must answer, is Jesus Christ our one and only Redeemer? There is no one else. There is no one else. He is the innocent sufferer. May God bless the preaching of his word.